You're listening to Driving Law, a podcast by Kyla Lee about all things related to the rules of the road. Hello and welcome to another episode of Driving Law. I am Kyla Lee at Acumen Law and with me, my co-host, Paul Doroshenko. Good morning, Kyla. I can almost look at you again. Yeah, I've looked pretty ugly this week, so I woke up Monday morning. More ugly than normal. <laughs> but up. <laughs> I woke up Monday morning with a uh, burst blood vessel in my left eye, and uh, I've been avoiding being seen uh, ever since because I look so awful. It's frightening and scary. Um, but it didn't really hurt. Uh, just I feel freaky every time I look in the mirror. And I've been to stores and, you know, had to still be out a little bit. And people look at me with... Uh, Art shows. With, exactly. And people look at me with uh, fear in their eyes and, and disgust and shock. Yep. Um, and uh, you generally have not been looking at me. I've been wearing sunglasses in the office. Yeah. Um, the art show, speaking of which, uh, just a little plug, completely not driving law related in any way, but uh, Yard Nagusu, a very talented artist in Vancouver, has a new show at his gallery. Um, the opening was last night. Uh, the gallery is at 49th and Main, so very easy to find, Yard Nagusu Art Lab. Um, go check it out. Lots of really cool paintings, like a, a Jean-Michel Basquiat influence for sure. Um, very modern, very uh, very exciting. And he's a lovely guy, and I think the show's going on for about a week or so, two weeks, so yep. anyway. And support your local black artists. Yep. <laughs> going to guilt people. <laughs> well, I mean, his art is, uh, he, he's getting international recognition. I mean, his art is, uh, so. is amazing, and, um, and it's a good investment. Yes. Um, turning to the more interesting issues, I thought we would start by talking about something that is not driving law, but is driving law adjacent? And this is a story that's been generating a lot of news in British Columbia and, in fact, across Canada as one of the cases in which I think eight tickets were dismissed um, in BC, in Prince George. Uh, for violations of the COVID-19 regulations um, for a nightclub that gained a lot of notoriety when regulations were put in place because it was like, fuck this shit, I'm going to continue to operate. Totally flaunting the law, flouting the law, I don't know what the yeah. verb is. but Flouting the law. The uh, floating the law, um, and uh, a lot of people were very upset about you know that they continued to do it, and that the yeah. government seemed incapable of shutting them down. Yeah, and allegedly posting and bragging about it on uh, Facebook and social media, um, which prompted the health inspectors to investigate. Um, they issued orders. They continued to operate, and ultimately, I think there were eight separate tickets that were issued under the COVID-19 Measures Act in British Columbia to the nightclub owners who successfully defended all of them in court. So these are prosecuted with a judicial justice in essentially in the same court. as traffic court. <laughs> um, and they're prosecuted with the rules that are under the Offense Act and the legislation that was at play and the rules of essentially traffic court, which is why it's important for traffic court. And of course, uh, all of the tickets were either um, uh, stayed or uh, 
uh, there were acquittals entered. After trial. Um, they were dismissed after trial. And people are very upset because uh, of the way that it's been described. For example, so the judicial justice asked... Well, let's let's back up because we got to put this in context. we got to right. tell the people right, what right, actually right. happened. Right. So in right. the course of the trial, the... Um, Prosecutors and these tickets, like traffic tickets, are prosecuted by the issuing officer. So the officer who issued the ticket, not a lawyer, comes in and prosecutes. And the issuing officer tried to introduce into evidence the essentially um, doc the Facebook posts that had been posted showing people in the club, um, and those were rejected by the judicial justice. Now carry on. No, that's fine. You've got a good... <laughs> you're, okay. you're explaining it. So they were rejected by the judicial justice, and one of the things that the, the justice said in his ruling was that the Crown hadn't proved that the Facebook posts had not been tampered with. He says, I don't know what Facebook is. I don't know what a social media post is. Essentially, I think articulating, perhaps very casually, as it is done in traffic court... Um, a concern about not knowing anything about the provenance of these Facebook posts, who made them, whether anybody else could post to Facebook, whether they actually related to the point in time that COVID-19 orders, because you can put a video on, I could put a video on Facebook that I took six years ago and be like, yesterday I went to the p and &E. Yeah. Um, so... The comment about uh, what is Facebook is the thing that has led to yeah. this outrage. I don't and, know what Facebook and, is. <laughs> and, you know, this was in the course of, it sounds like, discussion of the thing. And you're sitting there as a judicial justice saying, well, they have to establish the evidence. And, of course, you know, there's things that you can say exist and you can take judicial notice of. Mm -hmm. And you might, you know, feel that you could take judicial notice of Facebook. But I don't know that you necessarily could because there can be other... Um, uh, other understandings of how that word in itself applies and it's fairly simple right you testify you take the witness stand and you say facebook is a social media app and then you explain what facebook is and you say these were posted on their page now again that's still not going to be enough uh in this case but you know essentially what the uh what the uh, judicial justice was doing in this case was telegraphing that like you're not calling the evidence that's necessary to substantiate this charge from the beginning. Yeah, and I, I think also, like, a glib comment of, I don't know what Facebook is, shouldn't be taken to mean that the judicial justice and traffic court is like, I have no idea what this this mystical Facebook thing is. I've never heard these words before, but more is like, it on a I don't know. Is it on I one of these know. computers of which you speak? Yes. <laughs> I don't know how this works. Like, you need to explain to me, how does a post get on Facebook? Give me the evidence. And they didn't, right? Like, they didn't do that. And that's a decision that was made by Crown. <clears throat> well, one gets the sense that the um, individuals who were prosecuting these tickets didn't really understand their... Uh, obligation or role in uh, in court, and it's unfortunate because a crown prosecutor could have been involved uh, and uh, would have made it much easier for them. And of course, every once in a while, you are you do deal with crown prosecutors in traffic court. And when I started practicing, we used to have crown prosecutors coming to prosecute the odd ticket. Um, and you've had circumstances where that has happened. Rarely. Um, it's rare, but um, you know, prosecutors do show up for some things for. For a lot of federal matters, there's federal prosecutors will appear. Um, this is a, uh, or the city, the city will sometimes have prosecutors. So why the provincial government 
would have just sent these individuals to the wolves beyond me. Yes. I think the thing that people don't understand and what sparked all of the debate is the way that the rules of evidence don't really apply in traffic court. Well, they apply quite differently. Yeah. Um, but they, you know, they're also court rules that still apply. But the problem is that we don't really know the steps that were taken in the prosecution here. So you go to traffic court and a lot of enforcement officers um, don't even seem to realize that they have to give evidence. They just show up and sort of hope that the onus is on the other side to explain themselves. Doesn't quite work that way. No, and there's also a provision in the Offence Act that I think a lot of people have been surprised by, um, which essentially says that in a, in a proceeding on a violation ticket, a justice may adopt any procedures and admit any evidence that the justice feels is appropriate, notwithstanding the rules of evidence. So if a judge, justice in traffic court doesn't feel that it's appropriate to admit evidence of Facebook posts, they can choose not to admit them, even if the rules of evidence would allow them to otherwise be admissible. And similarly, they can choose to admit them, even if the rules of evidence would otherwise say that they're inadmissible. But you have to be prepared for that when you go to court. And you've got to be prepared to explain why this is admissible. Because normally, just a Facebook post is not going to be admissible without a lot more. Uh, and it looks like whoever was prosecuting this was unaware of it. And again, like I, I feel sorry for those people who are prosecuting it. It doesn't reflect well, but all of these people who were out there going, this is precedent setting, this is it, we can disregard the law from now on. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Forget it. Yeah, it would be fun. Um, so yeah, I thought that we would talk about that because it's a great segue into our second case. Which is? Which is a traffic court appeal. So this is the case of Paige Shampa, I think is how you pronounce it, T-S-C-H-A-M-P-A. Uh, it's also out of Prince George, an appeal of a conviction for a speeding ticket. Um, and the um, judicial justice uh, was alleged to have admitted the evidence of the speed improperly. Okay. So, by Tell me about it. Yeah, so, one sec. So, Miss Shampo was stopped by the CN police, um, and uh, the officer gave some evidence about uh, testing the speed measurement device that he used. Um, and essentially, the argument was that the admission of the radar evidence was improper um, because of what the officer said. And... The officer essentially said uh, that he was operating a Genesis VP directional speed measurement device, uh, that he conducted testing, um, that uh, the testing was carried out uh, that day. He used a tuning fork, um, that uh, it gave an internal pass. Uh, it showed an external uh, reading with the proper tuning fork of $100. Um, and, uh, hundred dollars or hundred kilometers an hour. Sorry. Um, and the, um, uh, and the testing process, uh, was the subject of extensive cross-examination and specifically about whether he did all of the tests that were required by the manual. And in some of his answers, he seemed to suggest that he was unsure about the proper testing requirements per the manual that were needed to accurately confirm the operation of the radar unit. Um, and 
this was essentially the thrust of the argument that because he was unsure about the manual requirements, the manufacturer's requirements, he couldn't say that it was properly tested and functioning when he relied on it. And so the question was whether the testing process was sufficient, the evidence of the testing process was sufficient for the judicial justice to have accepted the evidence of uh, the radar. And at paragraph 13, uh, the court uh, sort of summarizes the argument um, and then uh, refers to two cases at paragraph 14, the Garrity and the Catechin decisions, which of course we've talked about on this podcast before. And also the decision of Drewcock, again, another case that we've talked about before. And uh, the court um, finds that there was sufficient evidence, and they rely specifically on the Garrity case, paragraph 25, uh, where the court says, the court sets out in Garrity the requirements uh, in cases of radar monitoring for speed as follows. Number one, that the particular equipment was used properly by, cal- uh, by a properly cal- qualified person. Two, that the equipment function and accuracy were tested with whatever tests were required or suggested for it. Three, that the testing procedures indicated the equipment was operating properly. And four, that those tests indicated that the equipment was capable of accurately registering the speed of the offending vehicle. And then uh, summarizes the catechin test, which is essentially um, the same. And the court says in paragraph 27, neither of those cases suggests that extensive evidence about the details of radar testing is required in order to provide the proper foundation for the admission of radar evidence. It was just whether tests are required or suggested, or the assertion of qualification together with the description of the tests undertaken is a sufficient foundation. So? So the appeal was unsuccessful, obviously. I see that. But what I thought are, what that are your thoughts? well, I thought that it was interesting because it does you know certainly relate to this issue that came up in um, uh, that came up in the case involving the nightclub, which is again sort of the the different standard and rules of evidence that apply in traffic court. I mean, here you can have sort of a vague description of I'm qualified to operate the device and I did some tests and it indicated the device was working correctly. And that can be sufficient for a conviction. Well, I would say like, you know, I'm standing in traffic court and I've got the manual and the police officer doesn't have the manual and they're on the witness stand and, um, you know, they're under oath and it's like, a you know, you're suddenly doing your grade 12 physics uh, exam. It's orally and you're under oath and me as the lawyer is asking the questions and I've got the open book with the the answer book in front of me as I'm doing it. Um, You know, I can keep a police officer on the witness stand for a long time going through that, but there's at some point... um, you know, depending on the way the manner in which the evidence comes out of the police officer, and it should be tested, of course, um, that uh, I think you can reasonably establish that the device is functioning properly, being operated within its uh, in, in the correct manner by someone who's qualified to do it. Mm-hmm. And you know, in traffic court, again, like if it was not traffic court rules, it might be different. Um, you know, if it was a police officer uh, testifying about a approved instrument uh, test where there was no presumptions there, um, I think you could probably rip that apart fairly easily um, because the officer, most of the officers who are, are qualified technicians to operate a approved instrument, breath testing equipment, 
<laughs> you have difficulty explaining it. Um, but, um, you know, the, the, at some point you've got to accept that the police officer's got a speed estimate that's a reasonably reliable speed estimate. They've got a, a speed measuring device that is functioning and appears to be functioning and they can explain it well enough that they clear, clearly understand it. Mm-hmm. Um, that, uh, you know, you're going to, uh, you're going to overlook the, um, you know, the, the, the not requirement, but the sort of expectation that that officer have some detailed understanding of, of what he's doing and be able to explain it perfectly every time. No. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So again, it's traffic court. Tra- it's traffic, traffic court, court rules and things are fluid in traffic court. You try and explain it to clients sometimes. Well, you know, the judicial justice today went on a little bit of a hmm, tangent and uh, admitted evidence that I wouldn't normally not have expected to be <laughs> admitted. Um, or the judicial justice today seemed to have it in his mind that the police officer had something else he had to give evidence about that he didn't. So. We succeeded or we didn't succeed. It, uh, uh, it reminds me of that episode of The Simpsons <coughs> where um, Homer's testifying. I can't remember in what trial. And uh, or maybe he's not even testifying. Maybe it's when Homer goes crazy. And he says, that's Chinatown, Marge. Mm. <laughs> that's traffic court, folks. <laughs> well, it's an interesting thing. So, I mean, Kyla and I deal with basically mostly three different things. We deal with administrative matters before the superintendent of motor vehicles where you must beat the dead horse. You've got your evidence. It's like overwhelming. You've got to explain it a hundred times over. If you were explaining it to a judge, they you would know you've won. But you're doing it with a, a adjudicator at the superintendent of motor vehicles office, and they're uh, they tend to overly scrutinize the evidence that you've got from your clients. It feels like often, mm-hmm. um, and so we we beat the dead horse there. And then we go to traffic court, and it's the most fluid thing ever. You're trying to figure it out. Okay, well I can't remember what is this justice. Okay. Yes, I, I think I better do that. And maybe they, you know, you're reading their face as you're going through and you're wondering, have you got it or not? Mm-hmm. Have you, do you need to do more? Do you have to ask more? Do you have to continue to keep this police officer on the witness stand? And then you're dealing with a, a judge in a provincial court um, where, I, you know, I used to do most of my work. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're looking at you like, can't you just stop asking questions? You've already established it. Can't, just you, look. The, your 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 questions you you keep going on this and I got it I got the point, Miss Lee. <laughs> yeah. And so it's it's uh, if you're if you're a judge listening to this and I'm sure there's probably not many, you should understand that if any, you should probably understand that that's why we're doing it because we're accustomed to having to deal with it in a the situation where we have to beat the dead horse, the superintendent of motor vehicles office, mm-hmm. B traffic court where we don't really know what we need to prove today or disprove or um, call evidence on or uh, undermine evidence of. And uh, we're just, you know, hoping that we can make it work. And then uh, we're showing up in your provincial court courtroom where um, we don't really know what standard we have to apply at that point and we're just doing our best. Yep. Yep, pretty much. So. Um, all right. Well, that 
was very interesting. I think we should spend just a few minutes um, talking about how it is the start of counterattack season now. Yeah, last Saturday was the beginning of uh, the drinking driving enforcement, and uh, you've got a couple of TikToks up there that have gone crazy. I see you're at three million on that one that you posted a few weeks ago, which is just insane. Yeah. Um, the um, and there's all these police officers chiming in, and some chime in and say, "Oh, yeah, Kyla's describing it perfectly," and then others are sort of taking issue with you and. It's funny because sometimes they take issue with you and then I'm like, no, no, that's not quite right. No, you know, you're generally right. There's one or two things that I would take issue with you, but um, for the most part, like 99.99% of it, you describe it in with such clarity. It's freaky. And in one take and without any edits, it's, uh, it's quite an impressive thing. I think that's probably half the reason that people are watching it. Well, I do my, do my best. Yeah. But um, one of the things that we found in... Uh, in policing in the last few years, and it just seemed to be exacerbated by the pandemic, is um, police officers being really heavy-handed. Mm-hmm. Really heavy-handed when it comes to immediate roadside prohibitions and administrative driving prohibitions and not understanding that they need to approach things with um, uh, professionalism, but also humility, compassion, and uh, and dealing with people like they're people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, what, I don't know. What It'll did be... you want to say about drunk driving season? I, I just mean... wanted to remind people that it's counterattack season. And I guess I'll refer to my TikToks for all my usual advice, which is do not answer questions when police ask you about drinking. Just stay silent. If you feel compelled to say anything, the only thing you should say is lawyer told me not to talk to you. And don't assume that you're guilty if you provide a sample that's a fail or over 80 milligrams or something like that. It doesn't mean that you're guilty. That's an issue for Kyla to look at and figure out and maybe a tribunal to figure out. But um, start with the presumption that you should get legal advice as quickly as possible. Yeah, don't count yourself out until you see the evidence. I think, I, you know, I talk to a lot of people who are like, but I blew two fails, so I can't win. And that's, you know, that's the wrong way of thinking about it. It's the wrong way of looking at the evidence. Um, so you should not, uh, um, you should not uh, um, sort of use that reasoning. One of, one of the most personally painful things for me is when you end up getting a IRP disclosure after the person has missed their date, maybe they're charged with driving while prohibited and you manage to get it through that process or through some other process and you look at it and you're like, oh my God, if this person had just disputed it. Mm-hmm. You know, the police officer did such a horrible job on this police report or provided evidence from somebody else's report in this police report. Uh, and uh, and it's too late, right? So there's a seven-day window if you get most of these uh, um, drinking, driving, driving prohibitions in BC. It's an absolute fixed seven-day window to file it in dispute. So if it happens to you, if it happens to your friends, if it happens to family, explain it to the young people who you work with. Um, the uh, There's only seven days and to contact Kyla as quickly as possible. All right. And now it's time for... The Ridiculous Driver of the Week. The reviews are in. This book has been a lifesaver. If you haven't bought a copy yet, I can't recommend it enough. Thanks to the pinpoint method, I feel like I now have concrete strategies I can employ for difficult situations. Published by LexisNexis, cross-examination the pinpoint method is an essential addition to your bookshelf. Order now. It's my favorite. 
It's my favorite, the ridiculous driver of the week. I, you sent me two that you liked, but I think this one is the best, um, which is a fake license plate um, in Vancouver. So it was a local driver who had a, uh, a um, completely fake license plate. It said Hoonigan uh, on top. Um, they, I guess, are some sort of company that produce fake license plates, um, which I guess you can have if you also have a proper license plate. Um, and at the bottom of it, it says, made by your local penitentiary, uh, which also makes me think of The Simpsons. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and, 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 and this is a brand new, jacked up, like, I mean, it's got to be a $90,000 truck. Yeah. Chevy Silverado High Country, white yeah. Um, with uh, big honking wheels on it and everything, and operated in Vancouver. In Vancouver. I don't think the wheel extensions or the LED lights that are installed underneath the wheels are street legal. Pretty sure those are wrong. Yep. And the interesting thing is, I mean, this truck, unless you purchased it outright with cash, would be financed or leased, and you would think you would, at a bare minimum, have to have your insurance on there. Mm-hmm. Um, and have a license plate on it, and you're thinking you're driving around without a real license plate, and you get in a collision in this thing. Yep, you're out your hundred grand. Well, and this guy had also previously been pulled over and issued a notice and order, which is a like essentially a, a document that compels you to take your vehicle for an inspection because it does not comply <coughs> with, or an officer's of the belief that it doesn't comply with the. Uh, Motor Vehicle Act. And there's different types of notice and orders that you can get. And the first one that he was issued was was known as a box two, which essentially means uh, that he has to promptly take the vehicle to an inspection facility, but you can continue to drive it. So nice and generous of the yeah. police to have go, done that. Go as it. soon as you can to an ex- inspection facility. Um, you know, get get it inspected and then, you know, be on your merry way if you think that it complies. But after this traffic stop with no license plate plus no compliance with the earlier notice and order and clearly obvious defects on the vehicle, uh, the driver was issued a box one notice and order, which means that it's off the road. You cannot drive it until it passes the complete mechanical inspection. Um, I think maybe the driver thought that his uh, gigantic exhaust pipe that's been added over top of the original exhaust pipe maybe provided him with some exemption to the law. Uh, There's an interesting thing that we've observed in the last little while. It was uh, studied in the U.S., or not studied, but reported in the U.S., that the people who are most often pulled over for impaired driving are Dodge pickup truck drivers, um, followed by Audi A4 drivers, followed by BMW drivers, um, and then the list went down, and and Ford and Chevy drivers were Chevy drivers, and then Ford were the lowest for the pickup trucks. But um, we've noticed this too that uh, Dodge truck drivers are either pulled over more or disregard the law more. And it's I think it really is the the way that Dodge has presented itself in the last few years um, as being sort of the rebel truck. Uh, but of course, this is uh, somebody driving a Chev, just disregarding the law. Yeah. Yeah. And as a Chevy truck owner, I'm a little disappointed. I don't own a Dodge. 
Well, I uh, I very much uh, enjoy this. I very much enjoy the like hilarity of not complying with it. The LED lights, just the obvious like f you to the law. Um, it's cute. I really but wonder it's what going to be expensive. Police blocked out. Um, it was on VancouverIsAwesome.com, and uh, the police blocked out the license plate quite clearly with a uh, you know just using a altering the photos. Um, but they also blocked out maybe an N. I don't know. It doesn't. I don't know what they blocked out there yeah, on the back. Or maybe it might have some just been decal. some distinctive decal. Yeah. But I mean, the truck's Logo. pretty damn distinctive. Anybody, who's, <laughs> anybody who knows that person is going to know. If you that see truck. a lifted Chevy, brand new Chevy truck with pink LED lights in the wheel wells. <laughs> yeah, four by four with wheels that black, solid black wheels that uh, uh, stick out way beyond the fenders. Then you know. High Sierra, I think it was. Yeah. High Sierra. Yeah. Anyway, thanks. Well, that's our podcast. If you have a driving law-related issue, you can find us online at VancouverCriminalLaw.com or give us a call at 604-685-8889 and tune in next week for another exciting episode of Driving Law.